you are in your family practice clinic seeing Edgar Fernandez, a 56-year-old, for health, maintenance, and to assess control and management of his type 2 diabetes mellitus, which was diagnosed when he was 44. You obtain several blood pressure readings throughout the visit, and his measurements are consistently in the high 130s over 80. You also note a screening urine albumin to creatinine ratio is mildly elevated. You recommend beginning lisinopril, an angiotensin-converting enzyme or ACE inhibitor. You note that if he were to get a fever or a dehydrating illness while he's taking this medication, he should hold it on those days when he cannot remain appropriately hydrated. As you continue to discuss lisinopril with Edgar, you wonder, why is hydration so important when taking an ACE inhibitor? And why would you start a medication that could be dangerous if Edgar were to get ill? Consider your answer as we begin this next episode. Welcome to Audiobricks. I'm Adam Weinstein, bringing nephrology from our bricks to your ears. After completing this episode, you'll be able to, one, describe the intrinsic and extrinsic regulators of renal blood flow and glomerular filtration, two, explain how the sympathetic nervous system controls the renal response to low renal blood flow, three, outline the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, or RAS, and describe how it regulates renal blood flow and the glomerular filtration rate, or GFR. And four, describe common vasoconstricting and vasodilating hormones and other substances that affect renal blood flow and GFR, including natriuretic peptides such as atrial natriuretic peptide and prostaglandins. Part one, how are renal blood flow and glomerofiltration rate regulated? The kidneys are marvelous organs and are key to maintaining the body's blood volume and blood pressure. Renal blood flow provides key input to the kidney, not just for supplying the renal tissue with oxygen and nutrients, but rather, in addition, serving as a means for the kidney to sense the body's blood volume and blood pressure needs. Renal blood flow contributes to GFR, and there are intrinsic and extrinsic factors that respond to changes in renal blood flow and blood volume, adjusting GFR, and in turn, regulating what proportion of water and salt are reabsorbed back into the body to support blood volume and blood pressure. Intrinsic factors that regulate GFR include the myogenic mechanism and tubuloglomerular feedback. These factors are responsible for moment-to-moment regulation. For example, when you stand up quickly from a seated position, we don't want that to necessarily alter our renal blood flow or GFR. The emphasis of this episode will be to discuss the extrinsic factors that regulate GFR and renal blood flow. Unlike the intrinsic factors, these more often come into play when there are larger, longer, and sustained challenges to GFR, such as dehydration, hemorrhage, or congestive heart failure. The major meteors of this extrinsic regulation include the sympathetic nervous system and the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, or RAS system. And now for a question. What are the two major mediators of extrinsic regulation of GFR and renal blood flow? The sympathetic nervous system and the RAS system are the two major mediators. Part 2. How does the sympathetic nervous system regulate renal blood flow and GFR? As you may recall, the sympathetic nervous system fires up in times of fight or flight. 
and also during things like hypotension, hemorrhage, and heart failure, or basically when something reduces blood flow to the vital organs. Sympathetic nerves directly innervate the kidney, coming from spinal levels T10 to L1 with postganglionic fibers running alongside the renal artery. The axon terminals end in the renal arterioles, where they release norepinephrine during sympathetic stimulation, causing the arterioles to constrict. This means that stimulation of the sympathetic nervous system causes increased tone, or vasoconstriction, to both the afferent and efferent arterioles of the glomerulus. This constriction lowers renal blood flow, but is not equal in the two arterioles, and that has consequences for the GFR. It is easiest to understand why this may be the case if you start with what happens if you constrict one or the other, but not both the afferent and efferent arterioles. Let's start with the afferent arteriole. If you constrict the afferent arteriole, the arteriole supplying the glomerulus, the glomerular capillary hydrostatic pressure will be reduced. Conversely, if you dilate the afferent arteriole, the glomerular capillary hydrostatic pressure will be increased. On the other hand, if you constrict the efferent arteriole, the pressure within the glomerular capillary will increase because the efferent is the arteriole draining the glomerulus. And conversely, if one dilates the efferent arteriole, this will decrease the glomerular capillary hydrostatic pressure. The differences between constriction and dilation of these two arterioles is a major means by which our extrinsic factors, the sympathetic nervous system and RAS system, regulate glomerular capillary hydrostatic pressure. So let's go back to what happens to the GFR with a high level of sympathetic nervous stimulation. Both the afferent and efferent arterioles are vasoconstricted. In this case, the vasoconstriction is more pronounced in the afferent arteriole. So even though both are vasoconstricted, the afferent arteriole effect predominates. And so the renal blood flow decreases and the GFR decreases. Why might this be useful? In times of a sudden drop in blood pressure, the sympathetic nervous system will sacrifice renal blood flow and GFR to keep the blood volume in the bloodstream. Let's pause for a question break. What happens to the glomerular capillary hydrostatic pressure if you constrict the efferent arteriole and why? The glomerular capillary hydrostatic pressure will be increased because constriction of the efferent arteriole would build up pressure upstream, increasing glomerular capillary hydrostatic pressure and the GFR. Part three. How does the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system regulate renal blood flow and GFR? Okay, before we dive deep into RAS extrinsic regulation, let's backtrack and review the RAS as a whole. RAS activation starts with the secretion of the enzyme renin by the juxtaglomerular, or JG, cells of the afferent arteriole. Renin is secreted when extracellular volume drops, such as during dehydration or after a hemorrhage. The sympathetic nervous system also stimulates the JG cells to secrete renin. The stimuli for renin secretion should be seen as low flow states. So as follows, one, decreased systemic blood pressure as sensed by decreased stretch in the afferent arteriole. Two, Increased sympathetic discharge in response to low blood pressure sensed by baroreceptors in the carotid artery and aortic arch. And three, decreased tubular sodium chloride flow in the renal tubule as sensed by the macula densa. 
All three of these signals would be present in someone with low blood volume, such as in dehydration or hemorrhage, thus triggering RAS as a means to preserve blood volume and blood pressure in the context of these volume loss states. The enzyme renin, then, is released into the circulation and cleaves angiotensinogen into angiotensin 1, an inactive product. Then, angiotensin-converting enzyme, or ACE, converts angiotensin 1 into angiotensin 2, the active product. Angiotensin 2 is a vasoconstrictor which helps to maintain systemic blood pressure during heart failure, dehydration, or hemorrhage. Additionally, angiotensin 2, 1, stimulates sodium reabsorption in the proximal tubule, enhancing blood volume and preventing further loss of volume in the urine, and 2, stimulates adrenal production of aldosterone. Aldosterone acts on the kidneys collecting ducts to reabsorb more sodium as well. And also relevant to our GFR discussion, 3, angiotensin 2 constricts both the efferent and afferent arterioles, but it preferentially constricts the efferent arterioles. This is the opposite of the sympathetic nervous system, as this action leads to decreased renal blood flow, but preservation of GFR in this low-volume state. The combined net effect of these processes, then, is to increase blood volume and blood pressure while maintaining GFR in a low-volume state. Even with the maintenance of GFR, any volume that is filtered will largely be reabsorbed throughout the nephron through the renal tubular effects of angiotensin II and aldosterone. ACE inhibitors are medications that are often prescribed for patients with chronic kidney disease because they preferentially dilate the efferent arteriole, reducing glomerular capillary hydrostatic pressure and protecting the glomeruli from hypertension and hydrostatic pressure injury that is common in chronic kidney disease. Hmm, could this be related to the reason why we prescribe lisinopril for our patient Edgar, even though it makes Edgar less able to regulate blood volume through RAS? And now for another question break. What are the three stimuli for the release of renin at the JG apparatus? The three stimuli are decreased blood pressure or decreased renal blood flow, decreased sodium chloride delivery to the macula densa, and increased sympathetic discharge. Part four, what other circulating hormones and compounds regulate renal blood flow and GFR? When the sympathetic nervous system and angiotensin II exert their vasoconstrictive effect on the kidneys, they act in concert with other hormones that cause constriction or dilation of the renal arterioles and provide an additional degree of regulation. Besides angiotensin II and mediators of the sympathetic nervous system, like epinephrine and norepinephrine, other hormones that vasoconstrict the renal arterioles and reduce renal blood flow include endothelin and leukotrienes. Renal cells might release endothelin during low blood flow states, triggered further by angiotensin II and epinephrine. Endothelin and leukotrienes cause greater constriction of the afferent arteriole than of the efferent arteriole, so it's similar to the sympathetic nervous system mediators and has a lowering effect on both renal blood flow and GFR. On the other hand, there are several vasodilating substances that can act as a counterbalance to the already mentioned vasoconstrictors, raising the renal blood flow. 
The most important are the natriuretic peptides and the prostaglandins. Natriuretic peptides are vasodilators and include type A or atrial natriuretic peptide, or ANP, and type B or brain natriuretic peptide, or BNP. They can be thought of as the counter-regulators of the RAS system, responding to the high blood volume to encourage the kidney to excrete salt and water. These hormones are released from the atrium or the ventricular myelocytes of the heart in response to an increased intravascular volume sensed as stretch in those heart chambers. How do they act on the kidneys? Well, ANP and BNP directly inhibit tubular reabsorption of sodium, which increases sodium excretion in the urine. And what about their effect on GFR? Well, ANP and BNP preferentially dilate the afferent arterial, and so they have a predominant effect opposite of the sympathetic nervous system and increase renal blood flow and GFR. A higher GFR means that more water and sodium are filtered, and given the renal tubular effects I mentioned, this leads to even more naturesis and diuresis. Prostaglandins are produced locally and have vasodilating effects that counter the RAS system. They are released by several renal cell types, including endothelial cells, vascular smooth muscle cells, and mesangial cells. The vasodilatory effect of prostaglandins is also greater in the afferent arterial than the efferent arterial, so the renal blood flow and GFR both increase. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs used for arthritis and a variety of pain syndromes will prevent this prostaglandin-mediated vasodilation and pose risk for a drop in the GFR, especially in patients who are volume-sensitive and require these extrinsic factors to regulate GFR, such as patients with volume losses and heart failure. And that's all I have today for extrinsic regulation of glomerulofiltration rate and renal blood flow. So let's see if we've completed our goals for this episode. First, can you describe the intrinsic and extrinsic regulators of renal blood flow and glomerulofiltration rate? GFR and renal blood flow are regulated by both intrinsic and extrinsic mechanisms designed to maintain stable levels under a variety of stresses. Intrinsic factors include the myogenic mechanism and tubular glomerular feedback, and these act to prevent moment-to-moment changes, whereas extrinsic factors such as the sympathetic nervous system and renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system respond to more sustained changes and provide more long-term regulatory strategies. Next, can you explain how the sympathetic nervous system controls the renal response to low renal blood flow? The sympathetic nervous system constricts both the afferent and efferent arterioles, but preferentially constricts the afferent, leading to a predominating effect from the afferent arterial constriction, decreasing both the renal blood flow and the GFR. The sympathetic nervous system also stimulates renin production. So can you outline the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system and describe how it regulates the renal blood flow and GFR? The enzyme renin is produced by the JG cells of the afferent arterial. Renin is stimulated by increased sympathetic nervous system decreased renal blood flow, and decreased sodium chloride tubular flow at the macula densa. 
Renin activation leads to activation of angiotensin II and aldosterone, which work together to increase blood pressure and blood volume while maintaining GFR. Angiotensin II is a vasoconstrictor that preferentially vasoconstricts the efferent arterial, so it reduces renal blood flow while maintaining GFR. Lastly, can you describe common vasoconstricting and vasodilating hormones and other substances that affect renal blood flow and GFR, including natriuretic peptides and prostaglandins? Counter-regulation of the sympathetic nervous system and RAS system vasoconstriction is provided by vasodilators like natriuretic peptides and prostaglandins, which preferentially dilate the afferent arterial, leading to enhanced renal blood flow and enhanced GFR. Both also act in the renal tubular system to prevent sodium reabsorption, leading to increased diuresis and loss of blood volume. Armed with your newfound knowledge, let's get back to our patient from the beginning of this episode. Thinking back to our patient Edgar Fernandez, who we are starting lisinopril on for his elevated blood pressure and albuminuria in the context of type 2 diabetes, you wondered, why is hydration so important when taking an ACE inhibitor? And why would you start a medication that could be dangerous if Edgar were to get ill? ACE inhibitors are excellent blood pressure medications, and they also have beneficial effects on the kidneys by preferentially reducing glomerular capillary hydrostatic pressure, reducing the pressure on the kidney filters, and slowing the ongoing injury to them. However, since the RAS system is an essential part of our body's regulatory response to low blood volume or reduced renal blood flow, if patients become dehydrated or have risk for low blood volume, say from an intercurrent febrile illness, the ACE inhibitor makes it difficult for the kidneys to respond appropriately. Therefore, they are really important for the long-term health of the kidneys, even though he may need to hold them at times during intercurrent illness. And that's all I have for today's audio brick. Thanks for joining me. If you like this episode, give it a thumbs up or a comment. You can enjoy the full brick experience online at www.usmle-rx.com, complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. Stay healthy out there.